Hello and welcome to another episode of Once Upon a Nightmare. For this episode, it's going to be a little bit different. I've done it before. It's a spotlight, a podcast I was on, and that was Being Bookish from Ray. She was actually called Not Before Coffee at that time. And I went on to discuss a horror movie known as Fright Night. And uh, have a wee listen and hope you like what we said. Another pot of coffee is brewing. My fifth cup is almost finished. So that means it's time for Not Before Coffee. I'm your host, Ray, self-confessed bookworm, film addict, hermit, long-term depression sufferer, and very honest caffeine fiend. This week wasn't exactly what I had planned. In fact, due to technical issues, the episode that I had planned on will now be airing in April. However, it does mean you have something to look forward to, and so do I. So, what does that mean exactly for this week? Obviously, it does mean I'm still recording because you can hear my voice. But it also means we are taking a trip back in time to when boobs, sex and vampires in films meant it earned an 18 rating, when satin blouses and shoulder pads were a fashion statement, and green slime was meant to be scary. Yes, we are travelling back to the 1980s. And we are travelling all the way back to when we were 11. (gasps) We were, weren't we? We were indeed. We are travelling back to 1985. And I so remember having a crush on Chris Sarandon. He is actually quite good looking. By the way, I'm Lorraine. People are like, who the fuck's talking? (laughs) Sorry, I swore. (laughs) This is Lorraine. You've heard her on my show before. I've been on hers. This is Lorraine from Once Upon a Nightmare. And we are both travelling back to our 11th year this year, 1985. I don't think I saw this, though, in 1985. It would have been later. Well, it was an 18, I yeah, think. exactly. And that was when 18s were 18s and you didn't get them. There was no way of watching them. Not for me. <laughs> I watched this on pirate video probably about 1987. So oh, about the same time as The Lost Boys came, when The Lost Boys came out. And this is a comedy horror. Oh, and we're talking about Fright Night if anyone hadn't guessed (laughs) the original not the remake with colin farrell which i haven't seen have you seen the remake i have is it any good it's all right there's a really good song on it um you know the song i think it's from this but you know the uh, i think it's jay-z song 99 problems but the bitch ain't one yeah well there's a guy that does a version of it and it's like it's really cool it's a really cool song um that's the thing with this one. This does not have the traditional 80s soundtrack. No, but I, while I don't know what the songs were, I actually liked them. It turns out all of these songs, all of the songs for this soundtrack were actually written for this film. Oh, maybe that's why I don't know. <laughs> yeah, they were written, they I think, looking at the um, IMDb and Wikipedia pages for this film they were Mm -hmm. written I think by Tom Holland and that's the director of this film's wife not Spider-Man not Spider-Man and not the author (laughs) because I've read a load of Tom Holland books he likes to write not this 
guy. He likes to write historical fiction and historical fact, but it's not the same Tom Holland. There are <laughs> there are a lot of Tom Holland. Too many of them. There is. This is the guy who wrote Child's Play. Oh, it is, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, because he wrote this as well, didn't he? He did. He wrote it. He yeah. directed it, and he also directed the sequel, which came out in 1989, I believe. Okay. Yeah. Fright cool. Night Two. Cool. And apparently, last year he announced that there is going to be a third film in the series called. Fright Night Resurrection, which is going to completely disregard the second film. Okay. Interesting. I mm. wonder will any of the uh, actors make a cameo or well, anything? Well, Chris Sarandon, who played Jerry, the vampire, was 43 when this came out. Was he 43? He was 43. Wow. he. I didn't think he was that age at all. I would have put him in like 30s, early 30s. He's now 78. Wow. And then, of course, you've got um, Amanda Bierce, who plays Amy. Mm -hmm. Now, you think about, she dressed, oh my God. See, this was the thing that made me, it made it very, very difficult for me to equate this with a a 1980s film. Her clothes. Mm. If ever there was someone that was dressing like a woman who was in her 30s or 40s and working as a secretary in a typing pool, it's Mm. Amy. Yeah. With the long skirts and those awful blouses. She was 27 when she played Amy, Amanda Bierce. Oh, because they were high school students, weren't they? Because they were 17. Yeah. And this, she went on after this to play the very, very uptight neighbour in Married with Children. Oh. She was Marcy. Oh. I remember Marcy, yeah. Yes, Marcy Darcy. Marcy Darcy. <laughs> yeah, that's her name. Her name was Marcy Darcy. It's just mean. <laughs> I know. <laughs> and it had an apostrophe in the middle, so it was French Darcy. But okay. yeah. And of course we have William Ragsdale who played the lead Charlie. Mm-hmm. Who and yeah. at the time he was twenty four. He looked very young. They both he did. did. They all did. Yeah, they did. And William Ragsdale then went on, he was in the sequel to Mannequin. Mm. I don't think I've seen the sequel to Mannequin. I have, but I wouldn't recommend it. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't think I have. I didn't even know there was one. Yeah, Mannequin 2 on the move. Is Hollywood in it? Yes. Okay, yeah, I think I have heard of it. I think I have seen it. <laughs> <laughs> Hollywood is in it. it. She was a, um, a medieval princess. It was played by Christy Swanson from Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Ah, uh, yes, the original Buffy. <laughs> Yeah, the original Buffy. So there are, obviously, there are some well-known actors in it because Chris Sarandon was originally, was Susan Sarandon's first husband. Mm-hmm. I always, I don't know why I always think when I look at it, it was Chris Sarandon. Oh, he's Susan Sarandon's brother. Mm. No, he's really not. <laughs> They're quite similar in how they look, aren't they? They are. I tell mm. you one thing that struck me in this film was he is very feminine in his mm. appearance he's got very very slender fingers and i think that's a stunt double you think so i did there was one scene when um charlie's looking through the window and the hands you know the the hands come up oh the, with the long yeah. fingernails yeah he i think that was a stunt double i don't think that was his hands i might be wrong 
that was just the first thing I thought when I saw it. Because they are incredibly sl- long, slender fingers and they're very feminine yeah. in appearance. Yeah. I mean, men can have feminine hands, obviously. But the first thing I saw when I, I was like, they're not his hands. Because they're just not in proportion to his body. <laughs> no, but then you look at him in that that weird um, duffel coat. Not that it's not a duffel coat, is it? Oh, the, the, the rain, long the raincoat. Yes, the mac that he mac, wears, yeah. and that is incredibly feminine as well. Mm. I mean, everything he wears. That ju- I mean, some of the clothes that are in this film, you'd watch it and you'd think it was made a decade before. Yeah, because the mac just reminded me of Del Boy. Del Boy used to wear a Mac like that. <laughs> he did indeed when he was driving around in his Robin Reliant. Yes. But it was also those jumpers and everything. It was mm. very... There was none of the brightness I associate with the 80s in this film. Oh, no. Not at all. It was quite a dark film. Well, in how it looked. A, in how it looked, it was. I mean, mm. the comedy... It was very... It was definitely a comedy horror, though, above everything else. There were certain scenes in there that I just, I'd watch and I thought, I purposely didn't watch this last night because I was, oh God, how much of it is going to give me nightmares because it's been a long time since I've seen it. And then I watched it this afternoon and it was, I was chuckling away watching it thinking, yeah, right, okay. Especially the green goo that looked like slime <gasps> from, <laughs> so funny. I was watching that and I was like, how is there so much? There was so much of it. I know, it was just everywhere and it was kind of like the um you know the the slime that you used to get in the little pots like you do Mm. plasticine that you'd put your finger in and it would fart Mm. it had that kind of look to it yeah no definitely i i liked the comedy of it i like um especially when obviously he's trying to tell the police that there's a vampire living next door and the way the guy i can't remember his name off the top of my head the guy that lives with jerry oh what was his name i can't remember his name was billy billy cole but the way he's like pulling faces and he's like making these gestures and it just i don't know it just made it funny and the story obviously was ridiculous but i i really like that scene but i also did like that when they did the kind of scarier scenes you know like for instance when evil eds being followed down the alleyway type thing they oh that crossed, was creepy but they crossed over really well i thought that they did that really well it wasn't like it didn't have to be just funny if you know what i mean i think they they did the crossover really well from comedy to scare like like serious scare they did i agree it was there wasn't so much in there that you'd watch and think, oh my God, I'm going to hide behind something now because I am terrified. I'll be honest with you. The the, the scene with Evil Ed, you're right. Yeah, I am. I'm just trying to remember. I saw the um, the actor who played the cop has been in loads of oh, things. Oh, he's been in loads of stuff, yeah. And I just, it's just driving me insane. You know, you look at him and you think, what was he in? He was in Die Hard 2. He was the computer guy. Mm. in the air traffic control in Die Hard 2. That's what yeah. I remembered him from. He it was driving me nuts. Things. Um, but yeah, no, that scene with... Because Evil Ed is like unbelievably irritating. He's and, creepy too. Oh, he's creepy as fuck, man. But like, sorry, I swore again on your podcast. Um, <laughs> apologies. Um, but when he's down that alleyway, like, first of all, why would you walk down there? 
it's dark it's creepy it's foggy and there's no one about yeah, but he didn't and, believe charlie no but you just you still wouldn't do it anyway whether whether you were just on a night out and no vampire had been mentioned why would you walk down there yeah but you're you're thinking about it as a woman i'm thinking about it as a sensible person <laughs> But that's the thing. I think with certain things like that, we th- we do pers- we do look at things from the perspective of would we as women do that? No, and no, we wouldn't. But mm. a lot of guys would because they that's don't true. have the same fears as we do, or the same paranoia, or the same tales of horror that we've heard from our friends. So, yeah, no, that that that's true. Like women do tend to take more precautions, you know, like. Uh, as I was watching a comedy the other day, Amy Schumer, and she was talking about how women put their keys in their fingers when they're walking down because it's some sort of weapon. I always do you that. Know? Yeah, exactly. Um, no, but that scene, that that whole thing, I found that really scary. I did. I must admit, I was I was a bit jumpy at that one. Yeah, that's that's it though, isn't it? Is that there are certain elements of it you look at it and you think they're doing this because they know that there are going to be bits further on that will make you think about this again yeah exactly and it doesn't what's going to make you jump yeah and it it doesn't lose its pace like when it jumps to those scary bits it doesn't it doesn't lose its pace like we have all that amazing comedy that i must admit i did you know find a bit funny and i think certain scenes that i don't know if they were meant to be comedy i find them funny kind of like you know when you watch like the old abbott and costello film from the 40s frankenstein yeah. or Shaun of the Dead you know it's I I think you know and obviously it also does things like with Scream where it kind of makes fun a bit of the genre and you know I kind of liked all that but I feel like it's almost hard to get it right and I felt like they they kind of got the balance right of comedy but also at the end of the day it is a scary film it's an 18 so there has to be something in it that's slightly yeah but then was there something in it more the sex and the nakedness than the i think if it was made today i think if exactly the same film was made today it'd be a 15 but it has been made today no but i mean this actual like if if this was released today like this copy yeah it would be a 15 yes like this actual copy so say it came out today it would be a 15 um i didn't think it needed to be an 18 but again there's like whenever i watch horror films i always say the same thing one 15 year old can be completely different to another 15 year old yeah oh, totally. so sometimes maybe erring on the side of caution but like this is this isn't real because it's vampires you know i think it's a bit different when it's something that you know was inspired by a true event whereas this is vampires so you can kind of you could kind of get away with the 15 yeah you think about it two years later just two years later, The Lost Boys came out. And that was only a 15, wasn't it? And certain elements of that were mm. 10 times more frightening. There is a scene in that film I still can't watch. Which one? The one with the biting in the forehead. When they attack those bikers in the tree. They jump down from the tree oh, and bite yeah, that yeah. guy in the forehead. That is one scene I cannot watch. I can cope with any other but... part of the film. Just not that bit. But I think with... Uh, the Lost Boys, what you have to remember, obviously, is that was the Corys, the time of the Corys. And who was in love with the Corys? Us. Oh, yeah. When we were 14, when we were 13. And us at 13 or 14 couldn't get into 18 films. You know, there was more chances well of our parents letting us see a 15 
than there would have been if an 18. At that time, weren't we allowed, if we went to a, into the cinema with our parents, weren't we allowed to go in with our parents to see a 15? Yeah, but my parents wouldn't have brought me. Oh, my my mum would have done, but I think I no, went. My, my I think have. I went with an older cousin. Yeah, no, no, mine wouldn't have. Um, just because it wasn't their thing. Like, there's no way my dad would have sat through the Lost Boys. Um, and my mum just it just wasn't probably her thing at the time. And it's probably not something I would have wanted to do. I'm not going to the cinema with my mother. Not crazy. <laughs> I've got my <Yeah>. reputation. <laughs> I had no reputation. Hmm. One thing I found quite funny, this was, this to me was a definite sign of, not a parody so much, but it was a comedy, was the fact that the high school was called the Christopher L. Cushing High School. I know, I know. I thought that was funny. And I loved that they called him Peter Vincent after Peter Cushing and Vincent Price. And Vincent Price, yeah. You know, especially I mean, it was Roddy McDowell who was mm. an actor during that period, anyway. Oh my God, I actually um, like did some googling about him, and it was quite tragic, really, because kind of like his character in this, he never really got anywhere. No, in his career, apart from kind of doing what he was doing in this, like really good friends with some high-profile people, like uh, Elizabeth Taylor and stuff, but um, and Maureen O'Hara, but I don't know, I I. Because he was in things like Cleopatra. He was in Cleopatra, yeah. But he was never, he never sort of hit He never quite the... made it. No. Yet, but was in loads of things, you know? And I think that was kind of the thing here. He never quite made it in his career in this, um, in this film. Yeah. Like he ends up running around with teenagers killing vampires in real life, you know? Which, which is, yeah. Which is very bizarre. But he was a good character. I did, I did. Um, he was a good parody of like himself mm. really mm. yeah yeah exactly um but um i uh i did i, I think i i put a post up that i was watching this and somebody wrote evil ed stole the show oh i found him irritating i uh, yeah i think um like uh, i i wouldn't say he stole the show because i found him too irritating because obviously you know as a teenager boys were annoying but as a, a woman in her 40s are annoying. teenage boys <laughs> are even more annoying <laughs> you know and that's no offense i was a teenager once and i was probably really annoying too um but i find him really like over the top he was too much and i couldn't have spent a second in his company no me neither that's the thing that i think that charlie struggled with spending time with him he was mm. he wasn't the but exactly the butt of jokes and everything but even he realized mm. that he wasn't the most popular no but then i'd have found amy annoying yeah when we watched that at the beginning it's a typical thing isn't it that you see how the film starts like they're making out she changes her mind which obviously she's very much entitled to do perfectly entitled and to. he gets all angry with her and then when she does kind of go to give it up he's preoccupied by what's going on next door um but she was a fucking bizarre character i i i couldn't get on board with her at all i found her really like very irritating if i'm honest with you i th i think that they could have built her character up so much especially because we see obviously charlie goes to uh jerry's house mm. because he saw jerry the night before 
with his whole vampire shtick. Mm. Well, not vampire shtick, biting actually on the verge of killing somebody having they're already having been a couple of deaths and he sees that painting that looks yes amy they could have built that out into something so big yeah because they say like she because you can tell that jerry's taken a shine to amy and apparently it's because you know she resembles his previous love or something and when i saw the picture i thought oh what's this gonna be but they never really explored mm. that. No, they could have explored it so yeah. much, especially as it's it's the whole Mina and Dracula thing, mm. or Dracul, or whatever you prefer to Dracula. call him. In Dracul, <laughs> in um, or Alucard, in I say Dracula Dra- in uh, Francis Ford Coppola's Dracula. Mm. You know, the one with Keanu Reeves. And yeah. do you know, the funny thing is, I've never heard his English accent because the only time I saw that film, it was in German and dubbed. Oh. <laughs> so when everyone says, oh, his English accent, it's like, what? I haven't heard it. Maybe I should at some point watch it in English. But anyhow, it is that whole, there is that exploration of his fascination with Mina. This could have built on his fascination with Amy and his reasons for mm. it and made him a little bit more... Maybe they didn't want to make him sympathetic, but it seemed very much like they were trying to shoehorn a lot of stuff in without so missed out a lot by making it an hour and 40 minutes. Yeah, because they kind of... Like, I felt, especially in the nightclub scene when they're dancing very erotically... Is that how you pronounce it? <laughs> Very, um, you say that erotically. So the um, the I'm doing exercises on a hula hoop without a hula hoop is erotic now. Well, when she was bending down with her face in his crotch, you don't see well, that yeah. in the nightclubs. I don't know what nightclubs you went to, but not in the ones um, I went to. <laughs> okay, I'm not going to answer that question. <laughs> it's all coming out now, Ray. It's all coming out. Um, yeah, so, but it, the whole thing with them two, it, was more like he was trying to piss off Charlie than anything yeah. else. Like, why didn't he just fucking kill... Sorry. Why didn't he just kill Charlie? Like, why didn't he just kill him? He did say that at the beginning, though, didn't he? Because Charlie says to him, why aren't you just going to kill me? Why don't you just kill me? Yeah, but... Oh, I don't... And he says something that is... Because he nearly does kill him that first night. Mm. When he nearly... When he tries to throw him out a window and Charlie then stabs his hand with a pencil... Yeah, because he was going to, I think he was going to shut the window on him, wasn't he, with those with those nails in it? Exactly. And he didn't even flinch when he saw that photo mm. of Amy mm. that got pierced as it fell out the window. Yeah. So it was, there seemed to be so many, I wouldn't say plot holes, because to be fair, there wasn't loads and loads of plot. It was just fun and vampires and stabbings and as there always is in a vampire film loads of stakes and everything else but there were certain things that just didn't seem to add up like the whole amy thing there could have been a really good storyline with that amy with the amy picture do you think that when amy became vampire amy that she was his that that was what his part the the woman that he was in love with that was that version of her i don't know because like she looked completely different she was in that very virginal dress that was a bit slutty um well it looked it looked kind of like something from some like it hot, not some like it hot seven year itch yeah but maybe needed a bra what was with the red hair yeah and then this crazy mad hair 
Like it, it was almost like they made it grow because that was the only prosthetic face they had. Had this wild red hair. <laughs> but I will say, I will say one thing. Um, the like when you watch something like uh, I've I've heard I haven't seen these ones, but like you know with the um, what you call it, Lost Boys, or apparently True Blood, or one of those things, the vampires aren't like gross basically but when the vampires became vampires in here they were vile they were like they weren't like your interview with a vampire kind of like a bit sophisticated looking like dare i say his name on a ray podcast but tom cruise of brad pitt no sorry sorry i broke the cardinal rule i can swear all i want but don't mention tc um whereas on this like especially when he changes i think after he got stabbed i mean his face was grotesque mm-hmm. and when she amy became one it was like i don't know if you've ever seen american horror story but twisty the clown like this massive like face of teeth like it wasn't there was nothing sexy about them when they became vampires and when i think of vampires they should be there should be a sexiness about them so very much in a way more like um the vampires in buffy and angel where it was a demon the vampire's yes, actually yes. a demon. Demon, yeah. That's what I, that I, that's I, kind of what yeah. it made me think of. That these these vampires were. There's no. We don't get any of the mythology behind these vampires. No, and I've I've, I mean I've touched on Buffy, and I just I just can't get into it. Harry keeps on trying to get me into it. I just can't. But yeah, you're right. Like the vampires there, it's like there's nothing sexy about those vampires. When they're not vampires, yay, amazing. Um, but when you watch, you know, certain things like the Lost Boys, there's a there's a coolness about them. You know, you, you can look at them. Whereas one point with Jerry, when he was like full psycho vampire, I just he was horrifyingly f- oh ugly. Oh my god, it was disgusting. And it looked it looked really really weird because he's wearing the trench coat <laughs> and that red jumper. <laughs> Yeah, it really the trench coat and the red go. jumper with the white collared shirt, and he has got full demon face. Yeah, no, I just, I just didn't get that, and especially as well when Evil Ed, when he goes over to Peter Vincent's house, and he's a vampire. And actually, what was with the red wig thing? Was that Evil Ed on a bed with a red, red? He of... was pretending to be uh, Charlie's mum. Oh, I've missed that bit. I was like, what's he doing? Yeah, he, yeah, uh, Vincent had gone upstairs because he'd heard heard a noise and he tried to make a phone call in the house and seen that the phone lines had been cut. Mm. He went upstairs thinking, oh my God, Charlie's mum, Mrs. Brewster, Mrs. Brewster, goes into the bedroom, sees someone lying in the bed mm. with red hair, which Charlie's mum had. Mm. And then Ed rolls, o- rolls over because Charlie's mum's working nights she even oh. mentioned it the night before saying oh I, my idea of working isn't 3 a.m but mm. she was working for at three o'clock in the morning so and that's another thing you bringing up ed reminds me of the crucifix oh yes yes because the crucifix when peter vincent first off he is confronted by ed as a vampire mm. he he presses the cross to ed's face and it burns him mm. Yet when he confronts Jerry, Jerry later on, oh no, you've got to believe. Yeah. But he's already, that really threw me. It's like either it works, 
both times or it doesn't work at all. Right? I thought that as well. He says you, to, to use this, you've got to have faith, mm-hmm. you know, and then when he did it with Evil Ed, like he said, it burned the hell out of his forehead. But I thought that as well. I was like, I don't know, maybe because when you think of um, Jerry and Ed, two completely different characters and maybe the experience of being a vampire or knowing kind of the tricks because he was you could tell when he was talking to um jerry there wasn't just fear he was like intimidated he he was out of his um comfort zone almost whereas when he talked to ed it was like it was an annoying little kid that he was just trying to get rid of there was definitely a different kind of approach to how he dealt with these two people because jerry is scary he's so confident like when he stands tall and looks at you you know you're scared whereas with ed you're just like oh would you just piss off like do you know what you're I mean? annoying little cretin you annoying <laughs> little person you um and maybe with jerry he didn't believe that he could actually take him down whereas with ed because no, ed's a new vampire new blood he um maybe thought that that would be easier do you know what i mean yeah i don't know that's that's, i mean that's it you start to look at certain things and you really begin to analyze them the more you look and you see little things that are like well hang on a second because you say that and then you look at amy she is super confident in her vampire skin Mm. yeah but maybe that's the real her you know Maybe that personality is is the real her. Maybe Jerry brings it out because he's so confident, like he's hypnotizing. Do you know what I mean? Like there was, I I remember yeah. watching him as as obviously as Jerry's face, and it's not. It was weird. I was kind of looking at him. And I was like, there's just something so. I just wanted to look at him. I wanted to be in his presence. Do you know that way? He just had this weird yeah. way about him, and when she was in the nightclub and how he kind of did that to her you know the way he made her kind of do dance with him like he was he was the puppet master there oh yeah definitely and I almost felt for a minute myself I was like I can see why he's doing this I could see myself being sucked into it by him but that jumper just forget about the jumper just look at the face look at the face I know that's the thing is it just struck me as really really strange because as we said it's an 80s film it's in the mid 80s that 1985 at the height of 80s bright colors and everything else and the only sign we have that Amy is a teenager Mm. is the crocodile clip she has in her hair that somehow somehow quickly mysteriously vanishes between her talking with charlie Mm. when he's by the telephones and her dancing with jerry yeah that dance thing was weird weird but then her outfit was weird yeah she was an oddball i really didn't know what to make of her at all it was kind of like as i said it was it for me it was very much like she was a 40 year old woman in a 17 year old girl's Mm. body but that said she was in real life she's 27 but she still had a very very young look about her Mm. it was just her clothes were so much older than she was yeah maybe that was to make her look more kind of like virginal because i don't think she'd 
ever had sex before. And then you put her in that dress, you know, this white dress, like, as you said, like kind of like a Marilyn Monroe-esque thing. And, um, you know, maybe that's the side of her she wanted to be. But when she's with him, she's very, she's not sure. It's almost like she's doing it because she, like when she says to him about having sex, she's uh, with Charlie at the beginning. It's like she's doing it because that's what you do because he's getting annoyed. And they've been together a year. Exactly. Exactly. Um, But yeah, she was, uh, it was a very, there was a lot of very strange characters in this, in the sense that none of them were the same. Like they were all, they all were very different in what they were doing. I mean, that's the thing. This was the classic teenage boy fascinated by horror movies, Mm. discovers a horror movie living next door. Mm. Yeah. What did you think of um, his uh, Jerry's housemate, Billy? Billy, like, what what was he? He was, a, according to the research I've done, he was a human. It was he was he was almost like a zombie. He was an undead okay. human. Undead. But, okay. Do you know? Really interesting thing is, he won an Emmy. The guy who plays him won an Emmy because after he did film, he went into writing and he wrote the Ellen episode where she came out of the closet and won an Emmy for it. Really? Yep. And he also wrote the show According to Jim. Oh. Interesting. So there's an interesting little tidbit. So he went from acting to writing. Yeah. Wow. Wow. He was, I mean, he was very creepy. And the funny thing is, he actually, in real life, is the same, is a very, very similar age to William Ragsdale, but he looks a lot older in this. Yeah, when when I was watching this, um, yeah, he definitely looks like an adult. He looks like he's yes. maybe 30, whereas um, uh, Charlie looks like he's 17. Even young, if you'd said 15, I would have said fine. Um, but there was times in it. I don't know if you've ever heard of Corey Monteith from Glee fame. Yeah. Uh, he just reminded me of him. I don't know what it was. He just kept new things. And all I could think of was Corey Monteith. Because like, there was like that. Because at the start, you kind of think you're a bit of a dick. But then he has that kind of like innocence about him where he's like, you know, you know, when you were a teenager and you like really wanted somebody to believe what you were saying and you knew that it was true. Yeah. And nobody else would believe you. And he is that guy. He's like, he knows he's seen it. He knows he's not losing his mind. He knows it's all real, but nobody's listening to him. And I remember being a teenager and you're like, and you're so sincere in what you're saying, but nobody wants to listen to you. And it's so frustrating. And I, I've like, obviously like, you know, we all have teenagers and been that frustrated. But once he kind of, we got past the whole, you know, being a dick to his girlfriend um, and the whole vampire thing coming in I actually kind of started to like him he was quite an endearing character and you were actually rooting in your and I found myself going why is nobody listening to him <laughs> you know <laughs> but I you know if you come up and said to me Lorraine there's a vampire outside I'd be like okay Ray <laughs> uh, what medication have you forgotten to take today <laughs> exactly exactly so it's that's just... it that he was there were certain elements of his character that were so just asshole mm-hmm. i mean when he's 
he gets out of class and he's failed that pop quiz. Yeah. And he calls his teacher an asshole because mm. he gave him a pop quiz without any warning. It's like that's the point of a pop quiz. And <laughs> he's not happy to take the blame for the fact that he hadn't studied. No. It's everybody else's fault. Yeah. I mean, he... I find it quite amusing as well that Jerry destroys his car. Yeah. After he stabs him with a pencil. Jerry destroys his car and we never see it. Yeah, that's true, actually. Yeah, I remember that bit. It's as though it it happened, but it didn't. Mm. So overall, if you were going to thinking about this film and the fact that ignoring the fact that it has already been remade once who would you cast in the roles if you were going to make it today and would you as you said you would you make it would you make it an 18 and super gore fest or would you make it a 15 and appropriate for a young a slightly younger audience i'd make it a 15 because you know with vampire films you obviously need the sex side of it that's always a big part of it but nowadays obviously you can get away with more i wouldn't be fussed on the gore fest but i don't think you need that with vampire films i think a bite in the neck or you know a stake in the heart or whatever you want to do it to me that's not scary stuff no do you know what i mean it going to happen is the scary stuff but when it's happening that's not the scary bit for me do you know what i mean it's the anticipation um so yeah you definitely put it as a 15 um but as for who would play god i think the charlie role god talk about putting someone on the spot ray um i like doing this you know i like doing this do you know who i'd love to see as the charlie role I can't remember his blooming name, but have you seen um, Sex Education? No. The TV show? No. There's a guy that plays the lead role in Sex Education, and I think he'd do a really good job as Charlie. Oh, isn't he from um, The Worlds Between Us or something? Yeah, The World Apart or something. Okay. Asa Butterfield. Yeah, him. I think he'd do a good job as that. Because he's got that kind of like, he can sometimes be really irritating, but yet you kind of like him and you root for him and he's cute, but not too cute. And, you know, so it's believable because obviously, you know, if there's a girl with them, it has to be believable and all this kind of stuff. So he, I think he'd, he'd pull that off well. With with Amy, I don't know, because I don't, I don't really know a lot of young actresses i'd have to have the thing is you'd have to be really careful with the the age of her as well Mm. i think that's one of the reasons they picked an actress slightly older was because they knew there were going to be certain scenes that yeah that's true that's true because i think if you're gonna have sex scenes you need the the kids need to be over 18 you know um and he would be that uh the guy from sex education he would yeah but he never had he never ever you never see him actually having sex it's only her yeah that's true um he just looks at some boobs (laughs) (laughs) yeah and how many teenagers haven't done that (laughs) i know i know i don't know who i'd have as jerry i'd really need to think about that i'm trying to think of someone who's really like 
See, the thing with Jerry, it's not like he's a, he's a nice looking guy, but it's not his looks that draw you in. It's him. It's his charisma. It's 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 that that screams, you know, sexual energy like, you know, yeah. it's not what he looks like. I feel like it wouldn't matter what he looked like, apart from when he's like that gross vampire, you know, for pulling him in. Maybe a, a, a Dylan McDermott or something, because he's got that kind of like smoky, sexy look about him. Mm. You know, mm, maybe him. True. Do you know, I just thought of someone for Evil Ed. And I can't remember his name. Sean, Sean William scott he was yeah he was a stifler stifler sean williams scott yeah he would be so perfect for that because bloody hell he's an annoying actor i mean he's but he's, he is. he's he's a good he's good at what he does but he does that he's also a lot older now i think he's in oh, exactly his 40s. he'd be probably in his 40s now yeah way too old yeah that's the thing it's really difficult i'm trying to think of who actually was cast in the remake apart from colin because Powell. apart from colin farrell who's the only one i actually could think of anton uh, anton yelkin oh yeah he was charlie i can see that he has david, that look yeah that's sad david tennant was peter vincent oh yeah he was he was and now this this i think is massive miscasting christopher mintz platz plas was ed thompson so evil ed who was amy Imogen Poots. Oh, no, I can see that. I can see that. And Tony Collette was Charlie's mum. Um, I can see that. <laughs> I can definitely There's see that. There's a load of other people in the castle. They loads of other people. So you've got characters called Where's Billy? I can't see Billy anywhere here. There's no Billy in the remake. But Chris Sarandon was in the remake. Was he? Yeah. Who was he in the remake? He was someone called JD. It looks a little... No, I'm going to have to watch this at some point. But mm. at the same time, it doesn't look like it has the same kind of... Yeah, it's an it's American right. horror. It's a, it's a horror, a straight up horror rather than a horror comedy. And you notice it's a 15. Mm. You know, because you can get away with more now, can't you? You can. I do think that it is interesting to see how much more you can get away with now. Because mm. you look at some of the 15s that were made when we were in our teens, and they'd probably be they'd probably be 12As and 12s now. Yeah, we don't... Do you remember the watershed? Like, you know, when you watch stuff like Dallas, that was on after 9 or Dynasty, and when they were in bed... It was on at 8.10. Yeah, but they would Dallas have... Dallas was on. Um, like, the duvet pulled up you know, to like their neck almost. Do you know what I mean? And that was, ooh, saucy. You know, and then I, I remember actually watching when Sex and the City first come out and seeing certain scenes with, you know, nudity and stuff like that. And I was like, oh my God, like you would never get away with that back, you know, a few years before. Yeah. You know? um, And it's weird with, in America, because they're so against swearing like if you watch a chat show compared to like the Graham Nortons, you know, you get away with a lot more with Graham Norton than you do yeah. here. But yeah, they, they put out stuff like Sex and the City, which I love as a show. I'll just say that. But there was a lot of nudity and quite graphic at times. 
So I was surprised they almost got away with it. That was on cable. I know, but still, I never really... I never really... It's like, there's a lot of shows, because you think about um, True Blood, for example, which was on cable. I think cable networks get away with a lot more more. than the traditional. So you look at shows that are on networks like NBC and CW and so on. They are very, very much more PG... 12 friendly and then Mm. you get shows like sex in the city and true blood and i'm trying to think of shows that i've watched game of thrones that are on hb um hbo hbo or showtime Mm. and they get away with being so much more graphic yeah yeah blood gore sex swearing they get away with everything yeah no, and I think true. that's how they kind of separate the two out. Yeah. But I, I remember when I saw that, when Sex and the City first come out, and I was like, oh, wow, they're really going for it. <laughs> <laughs> you know? There are certain, that's the thing. There are certain shows, I think, that they've... There are certain shows and films, and I think the only reason Dirty Dancing got the rating it did was because of the abortion. Oh, wow. I never even thought of that never even thought of that um yeah but today this wouldn't but i suppose i i will say one thing there were certain elements of this that even for an 80s film it felt very outdated oh yeah i agree as i said the clothes the clothes felt very 1970s to me yeah yeah it was just if someone had put this on and said what decade do you think this was from i wouldn't have said 80s you know, maybe a bit with the music and the club scene and stuff like that. It sounded very 80s, but like there were elements of it where, well, but that's maybe they're trying to go back to kind of like the old school. Because if you notice a lot of the times when the TV was on, there was a lot of like um, Vincent Price, um, I think it was, you know, Dracula-esque type films on in the background and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I think they were going for that more old style and especially with Peter Vincent's character as well who was a massive representation of you know uh, vampire films back in the what 40s or something 50s whereas um, it it felt very I felt like if you'd watched this in the 80s I don't remember it from the 80s if I'm honest with you I remember it coming out but I don't remember watching it in the 80s I don't think I did I think I was 90s when I watched it I would have felt like this was I felt like I would have felt like this was outdated. Yeah. Back then, I mean, anyway. even even the horror aspects of it were quite outdated. Because you think about, this came out the year after Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah, and that was like a horror film. Yeah. You know, Nightmare on Elm Street, when I think, because I remember watching Nightmare on Elm Street for the first time. I think I got to watch that when I was about 15 or 16. And I remember thinking, my God, this is horror. You know, because I fell in love with horror before I f- ever watched a horror film, which is really weird. Mm. I was obsessed with horror and I'd never seen a horror film. Um, but I remember, I definitely remember Nightmare on Elm Street and thinking that that was horror. And The Omen and the Amityville. Whereas with this, I think vampires, like I said, I don't... Sometimes with vampire films, it's hard to kind of get them to be horror because there's an element of ridiculousness to, to vampires yeah you know 
I'm whole... trying to think of other vampire films that came out in the same era apart from the Lost Boys. Yeah, because it was more zombie type thing or your slasher, you know? When I think of yeah. horror films back then, I think of stuff with zombies or with, um, you know, zombie flesh ears, the Dawn of the Dead and all that kind of stuff. But, or, you know, your your Michael Myers, your Jason Voorhees, your Freddy Kruegers, like you don't, you don't really think of vampires you kind of think of that as more before and it maybe it kind of made a bit of a comeback and then you got the lost boys which kind of basically shot vampires into everyone's faces yeah. and they were cool they were so cool those vampires in lost boys you know yeah because you've got the same kind of era you've got a nightmare on elm street you've got gremlins you've got cujo christine mm. Polterge- the first poltergeist mm the fly which i'd say the fly was kind of a sci-fi horror mix oh that's in many ways yeah yeah i'd say that was definitely that was a sci-fi horror combination and then you've got of course an american werewolf in london friday the 13th part (laughs) eight what year did that come out friday the 13th part eight 1989 part eight yep part eight came out in 1989 <laughs> I know. Talk Wasn't about the being first busy. Friday the thirteenth, like nineteen eighty. So I'm they literally sure. made one every year. Wow! But I that's that's it. I think that. you were right. The horror movies of that era were very slasher, graphic, but they were also more, in many ways, if you look at them, they were more slightly realism. Hmm. There wasn't the the zombies, the vampires, the werewolves. They they had elements of them all, but they they weren't the focus of the horror movies that were big that year. Though in those years, in that decade, yeah. Because whenever you think, I know, like Halloween was seventies, but um, when you think of horror films from back in the eighties, people will say Friday the Thirteenth, Nightmare on Elm Street, Halloween, and then things yeah. like Chucky. That's a big yeah, one. Yeah, that was late eight. That was eighty eight, I think. Yeah, Poltergeist. Like when I think back to eighties horror, I don't think vampire. Like no. I, I always, I, I, like even though The Lost Boys is like one of my favorite films, I always forget that it's even an eighties film, because it still stands so well today. Like I think the only tie that it really has to the eighties is a very young Kiefer Sutherland and the two Corys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because even like the music in that you don't really associate that music i don't anyway with 80s because the thing with me with 80s is i associate debbie gibson tiffany <laughs> new kids on the block <laughs> yeah same here you know, when it comes to music <laughs> and when i associate movies to the 80s i think more of you know pretty in pink um you know breakfast club and all that kind of stuff yeah i don't really why i like 80s horror i didn't really get introduced to it until i was probably coming out of the 80s because i wasn't allowed to watch it you know um so that's not a memory for me my memories of that are in the 90s it's a film that stood the test of time whereas fright night in a way i can see why they chose to remake it because it is a film that hasn't aged well (laughs) no when i saw the the green 
sludge like Riley plays with my five four year old plays with like slime sometimes you buy her this stuff and it makes this green slime or blue slime and that's what it was because I I remember when that scene came on I I wasn't I was typing something and I looked up and I remember looking up going what is he what where's all this what what's going on and I could I kind of missed a little bit because I I I I missed a bit from why he turned into slime but then I was so like I was staring at the screen at all this slime pouring out of him. <laughs> it's like the secret of the use Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2. <laughs> yeah, it was ridiculous. That's exactly what it's right. I know. So I was like, what's going on? <laughs> what and the and the death at Jerry's death at the end. Mm. That was death by stereo overkill. <laughs> yeah. I know. What That's one like? of my favourite lines from the film. After you're a goddamn shit, <laughs> blood sucking vampire, Michael. You boy, you wait until mum finds out. I know. I know. And it did. It had all the cliches, like when they were smashing the windows for the sunlight, when it the 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 crucifixes, the the holy water, and all this kind of stuff. It was just, you know, they went with the it bat, all. the bats. You know, they yeah. just when the the coffins and. You know, at one point I was expecting Jerry to come standing up with his arms crossed at his chest. <laughs> he did. Did he? Oh, I didn't see that bit. At the end. At oh, the end did. of the film. He did. Yeah. He did. At the end yeah. of the film, he did rise out of his coffin with his hands crossed yeah. over his chest. Yeah. Because he'd just been staked through yeah. his shoulder. <laughs> he did. <laughs> That's the thing that made me laugh. That that scene where Peter Vincent's killing him or trying to, and he's staking him with mm. a <laughs> something from the stairs, a banister from the stairs through the shoulder. You've got to use what you can get. You've got to use what you can yeah, get. but does he really think? Hang on, where's the heart again? God, I know. But you know, in a moment of panic, you've got to think about what you would do if there was a vampire there. <laughs> Right, can you just stand still? I need to get this right in your heart, otherwise it's not going to work. <laughs> he was lying down. <laughs> I love, though, the hindsight when you watch these films. It's the same thing, isn't it? Why are you doing that? Why are you running upstairs? Why aren't you running out the front door? He's lying down. <laughs> it's like when, as you said earlier about um, Evil Ed, when he goes, when he's running through those alleyways, you just knew he was going to get to a dead end. Yeah. Yeah, you did. I mean, it was predictable. And he he was predictable that he was going to get turned because he was creepy from the word go. Mm. But I did I did like that scene. I must admit, I really did. I felt like that scene for me was like I'm watching a horror film. You know, because while he was being a, a bit of a, a, a Muppet, you knew, you knew it was going to happen. And like he cried wolf too many times. So obviously they didn't think to go and really, really care that he was screaming. Um, but I know I liked that scene. It was it was also a bit weird because there was parts of it where I was almost... <laughs> I felt like um, Jerry was going to open his coat and flash him. Yeah, I know? know. That's exactly what I was thinking with that. It's that coat. <laughs> it's like the way he was pulling it around himself and everything. Mm. He had a very graceful way of moving, but it was very... Again, we go back to that. He was very feminine in his mm. his everything. His demeanour was... Incre- he walked gracefully... He had cat-like grace, mm. which is why it was so disappointing that he turned in this into this absolutely horrifically ugly vampire. <laughs> yeah, but it, if, I was just thinking of the vampires in um, 
uh, interview with the vampire, they moved a certain way and acted a certain way. There was no, like, there's no aggression there. I mean, obviously, when they became vampires, they could be a bit aggressive, you know, a bit bitey. Um, but, but when they were kind of more themselves, so to speak, there was a femininity there about them as well. And that was that. I, I think that's kind of the vibe with Jerry. There was, whereas with um, the Lost Boys vampires, they were like a bunch of teenagers that you know were kind of gone off the rails a little bit and had been given this power that they really shouldn't have. Yeah. You know, they they weren't feminine. They were vampire know? bikers. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I would put Jerry more like like that like the interview of a vampire type things you know whereas that's it though it was missing out on entire because we didn't know anything about his origins or the his vampire mythology Mm. it would i think that would have benefited the story yeah yeah no i agree there wasn't enough enough there really i think maybe it's because they were too busy trying to get the comic relief out of it to get all serious about you know the whole background of it and stuff like that but to be honest with you, I've, I'll be honest with you with this film. I won't ever watch it again. You know, Me it, was a, it was a bit of fun to watch. Um, I got bored in parts. Um, I'm glad I watched it. But I, I won't go back there again. There was parts of it I really did enjoy and I thought they were funny and I thought they were scary. And if someone wanted to watch it, like someone came to visit and they were like, I really want to watch this. I say, fine, put it on. But I won't personally choose to go and see it to, to to watch it i think that that's it isn't it it's a rather weak vampire story and there are so many other vampire films out there mm. that do it about ten thousand times better without it's, even trying yeah it's so dated i can't watch the the i i struggle with vampire films with because i think that's why i struggle with buffy Although I've been told by many people, go to season two, go to season two. Um, I, yeah, I think I'm one of the ones who said season everyone two. Everyone bloody says it to me. Can I, can I just say something about Buffy fans? You're like a cult. You're like a cult. Every time you meet someone that's a Buffy fan, and my best friend, Harry, is the same. It's just like, as soon as you mention Buffy, you might even just say it by accident. It's like, I suppose it's like me when someone mentions true crime. You just like you said it now I can talk about it as much as I want and they're trying to convince you and they're saying all these things and but when I watched Buffy because I didn't even get through season one and I was saying to Harry I was like they're they're um prosthetics they're just I feel like I could do that in a paper mache class and that's kind of what I got from this and that's why I find it hard to take it seriously because I think with vampires you should almost just have you know a little bit of a teeth change and maybe their face slightly change but this was just like the guy was on something like you know I mean? that's why you need to start in season two season one <laughs> was a mid-season filler it was low on budget and season two is where the money started coming in all right well maybe i'll start a season two because i've been nagged for nearly 13 years now to watch that from episode <laughs> three of season two and then skip to episodes 14 no 15 and 16 but do i not need to watch it for the story (laughs) i'm just saying well that's the thing you'll get more of the story if you start watching it episodes 
15 and 16 because you'll get the second half of season two which is the best season yeah okay i probably won't i've got other stuff i want to watch (laughs) that's the look everyone gives me (laughs) i can see ray right now and she's giving me the look that everyone gives me when i dare say anything about buffy (laughs) i bet you harry's is worse (laughs) she's like you just need to watch it Do you know, Harry actually sent me a message the other day saying that she has started re-watching season one again. Of Buffy? Yeah. Because of the conversation that we had on your birthday. Ah. <laughs> so would you recommend anyone watch this? If you want something that is dated, really <laughs> bad costumes, a forgettable soundtrack, then yeah. But if you want something that is good vampires, not good as in, oh, we're really, really nice and would you like to speak about Jesus? I'm talking um, <laughs> I'm talking vampires with attitude. Then I would definitely say skip ahead two years and go to the Lost Boys. Hmm. Yeah. I feel like this this film probably has like a cult following as well, doesn't it? Where... Yeah, it do- it definitely does. Yeah. I mean, the, I think it had a budget of something like seven and a half million, and it made twenty three or twenty five million in total mm. in the box office. Yeah. But it's since had a massive cult following. Yeah, no, because I never, I rarely hear about this one when I hear about like big cult following films of, um, especially the eighties. But then that's that's why I think that they remade it. Mm. I can't help thinking they targeted the remake, they targeted this for remake because they knew that people would remember the title but not necessarily remember the film. Hmm. I think I liked the remake. But the fact that I have to say I think I did, maybe it's not very memorable, is it? So would you recommend this film? I'm guessing your answer's the same as mine. (laughs) No... No, I, do you know what it is? It's the fact that there are so many other films I could recommend, you know? Yeah. That's the thing. There's so many other films I could recommend from the 80s. And if I was going to send someone to horror in the 80s, I would send them to Kruger. I'd send them to Myers. I'd send them to Voorhees. I would not send them to this. I'd send them to um, Lost Boys, like you said. I would not send them this. I'd send them to Aliens. That's the thing. If they were looking for a vampire film... There aren't that many to choose from in the 80s, but there are what there is, apart from this, is actually better. Yeah, because if someone said to me, recommend a vampire film, I'd say watch 30 Days a Night. I love that film. I think it's a great film. But that's not an 80s. Exactly. So I say just, if you're not going to do Lost Boys, just scooch on over or watch one from like the 50s or something, you know, watch one with Vincent Price in it, Mm. you know go back and or watch go, to, it or go right back go back to the very beginning and watch Nosferatu yeah exactly go all the way back now that film's creepy mm. yeah god yeah definitely so that's the thing I think they missed in trying to be funny mm. they missed the opportunity to be good yeah because I, I like I said I did like the comedy and I liked how they you know kept it going when they went serious but i think maybe it was just the time it was with with the with the it was the it was the the face it was how they changed 
that really bugged me like it was so extreme and that's that's what really I was like it was so extreme that it was ridiculous it wasn't like I mean it was disgusting to look at it wasn't necessarily scary it was just like bloody hell obviously if that's coming for you you're going to be terrified but it was more it was just disgusting and like you know especially her Amy this you know blonde gorgeous woman in this sexy white virginal dress and then they make her face like that and then they give her a haircut but it was what were the words i actually put um a re- she's having a really bad hair day because yeah. all of a sudden her hair has grown down past her shoulders when it's yeah. cut really really short to her head and it looks as though she's been pulled through a hedge backwards yeah yeah exactly so which is obviously a very 80s thing. <laughs> yeah, her hair was... Do you know what her hair reminded me of? A tiny, tiny bit. Sigourney Weaver in Ghostbusters when she's Zool. Zool. I watched that recently. Yeah. I thought of um, Mary, not Mary, but Sylvia in Three Men and a Baby. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but her hair at least was nice. I know, but that's all I kept thinking of. But yeah, yeah, no, I wouldn't recommend it. I'm glad I watched it myself, to be honest with you. I don't feel like, oh, I wasted my time with this. I didn't. It was a nostalgic kick. Yeah, it was. And, you know, I'm glad I'm glad I'm talking about it with someone rather than doing it on my own. Because I think it's the time. I think some films, that's the, the thing about being a solo podcaster some films I want to talk about some films I don't mind doing on my own but there's some films I wouldn't do on my own I'd rather talk to someone about them yeah I think think this this film would have been difficult to talk about alone because you need someone to sort of go really (laughs) hello (laughs) are you there (laughs) exactly and I think that's basically if if you want a bit of a fun 80s vampire film with a bit of a laugh in it that's a bit silly then yeah by all means put it on but if you're looking for some amazing you know film with a lot of substance behind it and all that kind of stuff then then no <laughs> no definitely not no. i agree i agree 100 as a, as we said there are plenty of other good vampire films out there mm. either you look at the lost boys from the 80s or you move further into the 90s and the 2000s when we had like a full gamut of vampire films coming out because it seemed to be the thing. Blade. They go in cycle. Yeah, Blade, exactly. And that was 90s, wasn't it? Yeah. Listen to that episode, it's a good one. Uh, but I do love Blade. There were a lot of vampire things and obviously in the 2000s we had the entirety of True Blood and then if you really like teen, teen vampire Twilight. stuff, you could always watch twilight if you're desperate um but there are plenty of options out there see i never got into the whole true blood when true blood twilight and all that kind of stuff come out i had zero interest in it i never watched any of them so if you could pick a vampire film for someone to watch what would you tell them to watch really you're gonna go lost boys I'm going to go Lost Boys. It's, it is, for me, the definitive vampire film. I mean, I love Blade. Don't get me wrong. Mm. I do love Blade. I think it is a fantastic film. The mythology behind that particular vampire world is amazing. I have to admit, I'm also looking forward to seeing what they're going to do with Morbius, though I'm not keen on the casting. But 
it has to be The Lost Boys. It was probably, it was one of the first vampire films that I watched. I had a huge crush on Corey Haim and Kiefer Sutherland, <laughs> to be fair. And David was an incredible villain. Mm. Yeah. What about you? Well, I would have picked Lost Boys, but as soon as you did, I'm going Blade. Because I just think <laughs> that film is amazing and I will watch it, like The Lost Boys, anytime. I've watched yep. those films anytime. Oh, and that's also, just so you know, if you're in the UK and have Amazon Prime, the entire Blade trilogy is currently available on Amazon Prime for free. Yeah, because I, I don't think I watched... I think I can't really remember much of the third one. I know Ryan Reynolds is in it, isn't he? And is it Jessica Biel? Is she in it? Yeah. yeah. I remember the second one, and I really enjoyed the second one. Um, Luke Goss was in that. Yeah, I know. Well, Luke Goss seems to like sequels because he's also in Hellboy 2. Oh, all right, okay. Um, so, yeah, I would say, like, obviously, uh, Lost Boys, but Blade. Blade is a great film. If you don't like Blade, I I question who you are as a person. Blade actually <laughs> is credited with saving Marvel, just so you know. Mm, but he's amazing. Yeah, because obviously he was way back before all these other films started popping up. But um, Ten years. Yeah, before you got your Iron Mans and all that kind of stuff. But um, yeah, go, just go straight for Lost Boys or Blade or 30 Days a Night. They are our recommendations. Blade and the lost boys that is it if well there are loads of other vampire films mm. and i'm sure that you're going to find something somewhere that you like and if you're not into vampires obviously there's werewolves zombies witches fairies <laughs> anything else goblins and ghosts and monsters there's all sorts there's enough out there for everyone yeah dragons you can probably find something and if vampires in schlock horror 1980s films are for you then i think we found your kick and that is fright night <laughs> because that definitely fits it definitely fits that particular branch of vampire film to a t yeah <laughs> not that we'd recommend it no. we watched it We've already been through the trauma and the memories and everything else. So if you want to visit it, then by all means, go for it. It is a cult hit and there must be a reason behind it. Yeah. I just don't know what it is. Cool. Note, <laughs> we are going to say farewell to William Ragsdale, Chris Sarandon and Amanda Bierce until never, because we're not going to be revisiting them. No. We are not going to be looking at the sequel, which came out in the 1980s and no. is called Fright Night 2 something. It's and even doesn't... frightening in her. <laughs> it's even scarier than before. That wouldn't be hard. And out of those, out of the three mentioned, only William Ragsdale actually came back. So, oh, okay. I mean, the, the thing is, the film ended on a perfect opening for a sequel and they mm. don't use it. Yeah. True. But anyhow, that is all of our decisions and our ideas and our feelings and our thoughts on Fright Night. So if you want to hear more from Lorraine, Lorraine, where can they find you? On Twitter as a Nightmare Pod, on Facebook as Once Upon a Nightmare and Instagram as Once Upon a Nightmare Podcast. 
And your podcast is? Once Upon a Nightmare. And it's everywhere where you find podcasts. <laughs> Spotify, iTunes, Captivate, Stitcher, Ditcher, Deezer. There's, I don't know their names. There's many. <laughs> There's many. She's now reeling out names of rappers, I think. I don't know. <laughs> But don't forget to leave her a review on iTunes or Podchaser. I only accept five stars. It won't let you do anything less. <laughs> I don't blame her either. That's all you need to leave her. Honestly, if you want to listen to a really good vampire episode, listen to the Blade one. It's fantastic. Yes. Honestly. Yes. <laughs> so I'm going to say thank you ever so much to Lorraine for coming on and talking with me at pretty much the last minute no joke about frightening <laughs> literally it was like oh my god help so if yes. it's crap that's why <laughs> it's not it's fine <laughs> so i have to say thank you ever so much for coming on and talking with me about this film that turned out to be oh dear god why instead of yay <laughs> i think from now on whenever it comes down to picking horror films you you let me pick them <laughs> yeah i i would actually agree with that but then it was kind of a uh horror film that i wasn't going to be terrified about i That's watched true. this while i oh, watched God, this yeah. while i was drinking hot chocolate i really need to stop making friends with people who don't like horror films <laughs> i can watch horror films but i have to be not on my own and my cat doesn't count okay all right i'll let you off <laughs> Okay, I know that this episode is actually proving longer than usual, but hopefully you enjoyed it because seriously, it was great fun to record. However, now we've got to the moment you've probably all been waiting for, maybe, the time when I start talking about what is going to be airing on our local, well, local UK streaming services. To start with on Netflix on the 5th of February, which is tomorrow, if you're listening on Thursday, that is, Malcolm and Marie. I know that I've already spoken about this and I was getting a little bit ahead of myself when I mentioned it last Thursday, but this is a the latest project starring Zendaya. It's shot all in black and white and was also filmed during the lockdown or quarantine, depending on where you are. Also airing on the 5th is... Invisible City, which is a Brazilian drama all about an environmental police officer. Then we have Space Sweepers, which is a big budget sci-fi film from Korea. That sounds like it's going to be quite interesting. I like sci-fi films anyway. And the last thing that is being released on the 5th is Strip Down, Rise Up, which is a documentary about the benefits and the life-changing effects of pole dancing, so for any of you who don't actually pay attention to the latest keep fit trends or not even the latest, this has been around for a while, pole dancing is supposed to be amazing for strengthening your core. On the 10th of February, there is an incredibly long list of Nordic tales being added to Netflix and also the latest film starring Tom Hanks, which is titled News of the World. And no, I don't think it's about the scandal with the Sunday newspaper. Also coming out on the 10th of February is Teen Titans Go to the Movies. It's the 2018 cinematic outing from the, I think it's Boomerang 
or Cartoon Network, Cartoon Teen Titans Go. Over on Amazon, we have a little bit, they're finally releasing some information. Not much, but they are releasing some. So on the 5th of February, we have Bliss, which is a film starring Salma Hayek and Owen Wilson. You also have Greenland, which stars Gerard Butler and Morena Baccaran. I believe that was supposed to be released in the cinemas at some point last year. But obviously, due to COVID-19 and the lockdowns everywhere, they immediately decided to launch. Well, not immediately even. They decided to release that on Amazon instead. On the 8th of February, we have season one of a show called Soulmates. This stars Malin Ackerman, Kingsley Benadir and Bill Skarsgård. It asks the question, is love destiny? And of course, there has to be one film at least that I recognise the title of. That sounds really bad. I do watch a lot of films, but sometimes they'll release something and I think, I've never heard of that. On the 11th of February on Amazon, you get The Flintstones. Yeah, the film with John Goodman and one of the Baldwin brothers, I think. Over on Disney, things are a little bit quiet. But as I said last week, I think that this may well be due to the fact that they are launching Disney Plus Star on the 23rd of February. Not long to wait now. On the 5th of February, they are releasing a show on National Geographic or their National Geographic section, which is called Europe from Above. And of course, you can also expect episode five of WandaVision to come out on Friday. Yeah, I know there isn't that much. I think that the week after next there will be a lot more because, of course, we're getting to Valentine's Day. And I know that they are talking about the release date for the uh, Coming to America, the sequel. Not that I've actually even bothered to watch the advertising for that because I remember the first one, but I think I remember it more as a, oh yeah, I remember cringing at that when I was in my teens. So it's not one that I'm hugely anticipating, though I know there are a lot of people out there who are. So as soon as the release date is announced, I will definitely be putting it in this section. So now we're on to the very last segment of what is every episode for me, and that is talking about my mental health. I have to be honest, it's not been the worst this week. It's not been the best, but then, to be fair, I don't ever expect it to be. I have my ups and my downs, my highs and my lows, but then so does everyone. I guess what I'm trying to say this week is, if you see someone is struggling, don't disregard it as, oh, everybody feels this way, I feel this way, they feel this way, Joe Bloggs down the road, five doors from me, feels this way, because what you're feeling won't be what someone else is feeling. I know from experience, I was talking about this with a friend not that long ago. My experiences of mental health have always been mixed. Not only my personal experiences, but also the experience that I've had looking at it through the eyes of other people. My mum and my grandmother come from, I would say they come from a generation, but they don't because there are plenty of people within those generations who have suffered from mental health issues and acknowledged them. However, both my mother and my grandmother were very much of the school that said, oh, 
don't be stupid, you've got nothing to be depressed about, or, oh, you're making such a drama out of everything. Seriously, why do you have to be so different? Now, I know that it is easy for me to dismiss their beliefs and their feelings, but I think that a lot of it came stemmed from, at least, their fear because they didn't understand it. Not saying I do. I never say I do understand it because I don't. I still struggle a lot. Even though I have a diagnosis, I know that it's a chemical imbalance in my brain. And oh my God, that sounded so always a chemical. But it is, it's a chemical imbalance in my brain. And it is something that is never going to go away. I've never forgotten asking my psychiatrist. So when am I going to be able to stop taking these pills? as though taking these pills for a certain amount of time was going to cure me like it would if it was antibiotics and I had a throat infection. And he said to me, you are in all likelihood going to be taking these or something like them for the rest of your life. That kind of diagnosis, whether it's a a terminal diagnosis or not, is not easy to cope with. It's not easy to accept, especially when you come from a family of people who refuse to acknowledge There is such a thing as a mental health issue that isn't connected to situation. I didn't exactly have an easy childhood. And I'm not going to use this as a, oh, woe is me, feel sorry for me thing. I didn't. I grew up in the 80s, which actually I miss quite a lot. But my dad passed away when I was 11 years old, only just 11, leaving my mum at the age of 30, a widow with three young children. My sister was eight. It wasn't an easy time for any of us. There was no state support. We got nothing. We couldn't even get, we didn't even qualify for free free school meals. My mum didn't have a job for quite a long time after my dad had passed away because she had what the doctors term situational or circumstantial depression caused by an incident rather than caused by nothing, which is what mine is caused by. This means that I spent a lot of my time being a parent to my younger siblings and it's one of the biggest reasons why I don't have children now. So when my mum says, oh why didn't you give me any grandchildren? It's like A, my sister gave you four and B, you left me to raise your children while you were understandably suffering but at the same time I was 11 years old, I did not need that responsibility. I do think that a lot of that has contributed to make me who I am good or bad and it makes it does make me frustrated when I have to try to talk about depression they don't understand it I don't think they will I don't think that a person who hasn't been through it can understand it in fact sometimes I don't think a person who has been through it can understand it which is why I say if you see someone who is suffering someone who is in pain talk to them well actually don't talk to them listen let them talk to you if they feel ready to I guess my message this week isn't so much oh my week has been really really bad it's been busy it's been stressful and it wasn't helped by technical difficulties however those were outside of my control completely and I will be recording that episode later on in fact we've already scheduled a date for recording I just think that we need to support each other. 
whether that is by sending someone a message and saying, hi, do you need to talk? Or I know that it's hard right now because you can't exactly go up to somebody who you see queuing outside a shop and start a conversation. And also when you're out in the street, you can't exactly smile at someone and have them see it anymore. I used to just smile at people when I was walking down the street. Didn't want to stop and converse with them, but I'd always wave my hand at them and smile because I think that that, even that raises my mood slightly. But at the same time, I think you can still wave at people. You can still smile with your eyes at them. And there are going to be a lot of people out there who haven't spoken with a person in months I bumped into somebody at the chemist a couple of weeks ago when I went to pick up a second lot of prescription because my first lot wasn't complete. And they hadn't spoken with anyone since November last year. We had a random conversation about what was on the TV. And I don't even watch TV, but I think she just wanted to talk. It can be as random as that. Just be there for somebody, I guess. So that's my lesson, or my my lesson, that's my talk for this week. If you see someone is struggling, or you know that someone's on their own, just be there. Listen to them. Send them a letter, an email, make a phone call, just be there for someone. I release a new episode every week, so if you like what you hear, why not share it with your friends and family? Or post a review on one of the many podcatchers out there like iTunes or Podchaser. Go on, give me a five-star review somewhere. You can follow me on Twitter at need underscore three underscore mugs or over on Instagram at Ray's Reading Room. I update on both with promos and books I'm reading quite often. Well, I need another cup of coffee as I definitely haven't had enough. So I'm going to go and put the kettle on. And until next time, this is me saying farewell.